On this week's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, and what that means for the Christian today. I brought in a new recent friend of mine, Alex. He is a seminary student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is also a high school teacher, and he is someone in the short time that I've known him as very trustworthy and reliable with the Word of God. And I'm really glad he agreed to come on to the show, uh, just because this is an area, a topic of Scripture, that gets so clouded today more so than we have ever seen before with different growing movements around. So just a little preview in this episode, we are going to talk mainly about the passage, but we're also going to address topics such as the the growing popular Hebrew roots movement, otherwise known as Torah observant or whole Bible believer. And we're also going to talk about the other side of the spectrum, the hyper dispensationalist movement, and then really narrow on our focus of Matthew 5, verse 18, specifically 17 through 20, and what that means for the Christian today. How should the Christian view the law? Well, anyways, this is a longer episode, so I hope you enjoy it, and feel free. Don't feel like you got to listen to the entire thing in a day. You can pause it and come back the next day, but I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope it sheds some light, and if you have any questions whatsoever, by all means, please hit us up, ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. Just type in I Believe Now What in Facebook and Instagram, or as you're going to hear us talk about, you can find us on TikTok. Me personally, my name is at saved by the savior that is just saved by the savior uh when i started this whole tiktok thing i never really thought it would turn into an actual ministry but it did and you can also find alex as i said before at 60 second doctrine that's six zero second doctrine well without any more delay hope you enjoy the episode hello everybody my name's tim perko and you're listening to i believe now what All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of I Believe Now What? And if you haven't heard from the intro, we are going to be diving into Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, and specifically in context, verses 17 through 20. And I originally started recording this on my own, and I thought it would be a lot better to have someone else come in, somebody who can have another point of view, some different insight on this, and really just have a great iron sharpens iron moment as we talk about this scripture. So I want to go ahead and introduce to you my friend Alex. We met over TikTok. Alex, please talk about yourself a little bit before we dive in. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher and a uh, biblical languages uh, grad student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. Um I just got married in uh, December. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, so we've just, just just been adjusting the life, lesson planning, and uh, ministering in the church. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 awesome. I, I love your content. Um, I think you're one of those people, and I list it as, like, it's an immediate like as soon as they kind of pop up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're definitely on that, that page, too, when I first saw not – not puffing each other up now or anything, but it, it, it's nice to see uh, a community. And I, I don't know about you. I got into the TikTok thing randomly. I was just, my, my wife got into it during quarantine and I thought it was dumb. And then I was like, all right, you know what? Let me go ahead and maybe this can be an avenue to spread the gospel. And then I meet all these amazing brothers and sisters in Christ on this app. And, right. you know, now it's starting to bear even more fruit because now I, I, I have people I can, you know, bring on to this podcast or on the show like you being the very first yeah. one. So the trial time. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was it was pretty random for me too. And and my wife and I started TikTok at the same time accidentally. We were just like, um, I fought against it for so long. My like my students watch it just constantly, and I'm like, I hate that thing. I hate that app. I despise it. And then and then I realized how much false teaching, quite honestly, mm. was happening on it. And I was like, like. If I want my students, if they are even on the Christian side of TikTok, I want them uh, to be able to see a familiar face. It kind of started as a way for me to get those things out and, and also to address some false teaching. And the same thing, uh, like the community of, of believers um, that, I, that I encountered was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely been a, a blessing where I didn't think a blessing would be. Uh, so as we said, before, without further delay, let's go ahead and jump into our passage. So it's going to be Matthew chapter 5 for anybody following along. If you're following along in your Bible, if you're driving, obviously keep driving. <laughs> you can go back and listen, check it out later. But Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 is going to be the main context. And I, I didn't really get into why we were doing this. So I was doing a personal study on Jesus's uh, statements where either he said truly in front of something or the words truly, truly, which in the Greek grows back to an amen. You know, we always amen at the end of a statement. Here, Jesus is placing some very big importance uh, before a statement, and he's pretty much telling us to to pay attention, uh, especially in the truly, truly statements. But we can get in more on that later on in another time. But this is the very first one that I was able to find, and it's going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, as we said, and it says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, with that being said, uh, this passage can be taken out of context and sadly is a lot today, especially with different growing movements. I don't know if you have any insight on that, Alex, that you wanted to share. Yeah, honestly, I I had only heard in passing of some like the Hebrew roots or the Torah observant movement. I actually didn't actually truly encounter them until TikTok, and they are a force to be reckoned with on TikTok. Oh yeah, it it was the same for me. I never knew it was a thing until till TikTok. They started spamming a lot of my videos, and I'm pretty sure you've seen the yeah. stuff. It would just be like yep. a random comment, like the video would have nothing to do with this, and they'd just be like. Hey, Jesus didn't eat pork. Why do you eat pork? Like, like, where in the video did I talk about eating pork? You know. And then yeah. once I started checking, getting spammed by more of them, I started realizing, okay, this, this is, this is something this that's isn't real. Just one crazy dude or something, yeah. Yeah, it, it, like you said, it was a full-on force, and uh, I, I personally took to YouTube. I tried researching this and i found a lot of different videos where people were kind of tackling this and there were some ministries out there specifically the one that i saw was 119 ministries i believe it was called on youtube uh and they're one of the big fuel centers for this uh they go by different names uh these people who they, mostly i i, I think Torah observant is the one that I hear the most, or Hebrew roots. Yeah. Others might say whole Bible believers. And you can typically identify these people. It's real easy. They'll always refer to Jesus as Yeshua. Almost every yes. single time. They will refuse to say Jesus, even though Jesus is Yeshua, just a different language yeah. way of saying it. Or just some weird way of saying it. Like they, sometimes they just insert random vowels in there to Yahusha and... <laughs> Yahuwah Shah, but 
Yeah. And, and it, I am, it, I think a lot of it, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll be me. I'll be nice guy. No. Yeah. I, it, like if anybody is listening to this, that comes across this and they, they believe in this number one, just say you have our love. Like we're not sitting here trying to pick you apart. And this entire episode is not really even about that, but we wanted to address it because this is something that I personally see as a step that can lead someone away eventually from Christianity. Uh, I was talking with Alex beforehand. We said we both, as we were kind of researching this, we came across a video by uh, Dr. Brown. And if you know me, I'm not really, I don't usually advocate for Dr. Brown's videos. I believe he's a brother in the faith. Uh, Just some very, very different beliefs on secondary issues. But he had some videos that had uh, some really good insight on this. And he explained from his background and encountering this before that people would get into this Hebrew roots, Torah observant. Uh, Well, before we actually get into that, I think we should probably define what it is. (laughs) And essentially, uh, Torah observant, Hebrew roots, these are people who believe that you still need to follow the Old Testament law. Uh, yeah, it, it starts out as you should do it. It's a good thing. It doesn't save you. And then it's somewhere down the line. It turns into if you don't do it, then you don't love God and you are no longer a Christian or you never were a Christian. Yep. And and that's sadly what I see a lot of it turning into. And as Dr. Brown added in some of his videos from his personal experience, it would turn into full fledged Judaism and sometimes even atheism. Mm-hmm. The issue uh, the issue is like, uh, again, um, one of the biggest things that I think outside of the Torah observing movement I'm talking about just in, in the quote-unquote normal church, um, we see a lot of um, tendencies of, I think, all of us to kind of push our convictions on to other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a tendency that we have. Or like, you know, uh, I don't like to Guilty. drink coffee, so I don't think you should, or, or alcohol, or whatever it might be. Um and again, if, if someone has a conviction and they're like, especially if it's say a Jew who's come to Christ and they're like, I'm going to continue following the law, uh, but I believe I'm saved. I think he has the freedom to do that. Absolutely. I think, I, I think they, that there's freedom to, to practice the holy days the way you see fit and to, to bind yourself in order to glorify God. The, the issue comes, one, if you start to rely on your law to save you. That's that's maybe issue number one. If you start to rely on your ability to hold to the the law that you bound yourself to, um, then you no longer are relying on the mediator, the one man, Jesus Christ, who died for sin. You're relying on yourself. And then then there's this other issue that pops up of this foisting of of your convictions onto other believers and saying you're not saved unless you can hold this law um, and. There, there are a number of issues with that, but one is it just goes flatly against the text of Scripture. Exactly. And, and I don't believe Scripture, and I'm sure you do as well, you know, it does not contradict itself anywhere no. in the Scripture. And you'll find yourself with the, with the whole Torah observing, you get a really hard time once you get to the epistles of Paul. And honestly, even mm-hmm. in this passage ourselves, because uh, you can take verse 18 in <clears throat> Matthew 5, out of context by itself all day long. Because if you just isolate yes. that verse, yeah, it sounds like it. And this is a question that, you know, I struggled with at one point in time in my life. You know, how should a Christian today deal with the law and the capital L law? How, how do we yeah. deal with that 
today. And, and it's, a, it's a tough issue when you're sitting there dwelling on it. But I think once you put, like we said, verses 17 through 20, we place it in its context. And really the entire Sermon on the Mount itself, Yes, absolutely. it really explains what Jesus is talking about here. Specifically, one of the big highlights is verse 20. Uh, but mm-hmm. before we start breaking it down even more, I wanted to go swing to the other side of the pendulum because just, you know, there's hypers on both sides, sadly. And uh, there's another group that you may be weary of. They're not as much on full force on TikTok, but I have encountered them before. Uh, and that's the hyper dispensationalists. And these are essentially, and I, I know what you, you know what they are. I'm going to just explain it real quick for the audience. But from my experience, these are yeah. the people that will tell you as far as, you know, you can't get saved off of Jesus's gospel. That was the message for the kingdom. That was the message for the Jews. Uh, you don't see the real gospel until mid-Acts when Apostle Paul comes on the scene because he's the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, and you can only be right. saved through his gospel, which I believe is completely uh, false in that narrative. Yes, there's merit, mm-hmm. and di- I, I think... I think you know who John MacArthur is. I kind of like stealing his stance with the whole leaky dispensationalist thing. Yeah. Do I see dispensations in the Bible? 100%. I absolutely do. Uh, but by no means do I believe that Jesus's plan was to only preach to the Jews during his message. Yes, he came to his own and his own received him not. But he knew the grander right. scheme of what he was doing. He had to go to the Jews first. He had to. That's the way it was set out in Old Testament prophecy. The plan was always for a crucified Messiah, right. not right. them accepting him and becoming... In fact, that almost happened in John, where after he fed the 5,000, and they wanted to go usher him yeah. and make him king. But he had to right. get away because it that wasn't the plan. The plan was always yeah. for him to go to the cross and be that propitiation for us. Yes, yes. I, I think also that if you you run into a, a problem if you think that Jesus's message is only for Jews. Mm. Um, just in reading the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament has this idea of foreigners who or sojourners in the land who are to be treated as if they are inhabitants of the land. They are equal inheritors of the Mosaic Covenant, which is bonkers for 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 a lot of people who would say that it's only to the Jews. Not only that, but in the first chapter of Matthew, we see both Ruth and Rahab, people who are not Israelites, being included in this genealogy of Christ, right? These uh, these people who are outsiders. And so the idea that Christ would, would only be preaching to Jews. Now, I think that's probably a focus because he's in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's a focus of his ministry, and he goes to the Jews first, but than to the Gentiles, right? Exactly. And there were multiple times where, where Gentiles approached Christ. And everybody knows, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people know the famous statement <clears throat> where he said, it's not your time. You, you know, pretty much called that. Everybody points out, oh, Jesus yeah. called the woman a dog. You know, they're in this. Right. Yeah, and she replied back with this. But, but, but what happened? You know, he still acknowledged. You have the, you have the Roman centurion, not a Jew, mm-hmm. helped him out. Right. John chapter uh, 4, here... You have a Samaritan woman, which is, I think they, in context, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they they view them lower than Gentiles almost. They were, you know, because they were half-breeds, essentially. Right, right. They, they, they were breakers of the covenantal law. They didn't worship in the right places. They, Yeah, they were, they were awful. And Jesus revealed who he was, gave her really one of the first accounts that we see in John of that gospel message, you know, 
right. if you if you never want to thirst, go ahead and drink from this cup. I think to say that Jesus's focus was only and always on the Jews, and we can't glean any insight from his messages like that. I've I've had people tell me the Sermon on the Mount was not for you. You get nothing out of it. I'm like, oh, I, I get plenty out of it, actually. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why why did why is it in there? Let's just tear it out. Let's just get rid of it. Yeah, and of course we know all scripture. All scripture is is good for right. us. It's almost like there's a verse for that. <laughs> I know, crazy. <laughs> but anyways, all right. So now that we've kind of talked about these two different extremes that you might encounter, and and I, I, we just wanted to be aware because sadly we are in a world today where, Christ, especially in our country, uh, where we are free to believe, we are free to worship, we don't have the amount of restrictions on us that many, many other countries do. And while that is a good thing, at the same time, it's also a, almost like freedom for people to go ahead and pervert the true gospel. Now, me personally, I'm always been of the belief that when times start getting tough and things start getting wrong, say we get into a very bad, you know, draconian type society and Christianity is almost outlawed, I would think that that would be a wheat separated from the chaff moment. Uh, and then you'll really find out who the true believers are. But at the same time, I am very thankful, and I don't want to ever sound like I, I'm not, to be able to be in a country where I can, we can have a podcast and talk about Jesus in yeah. the Bible. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So before I ADHD myself on a whole nother subject, we're, we're, let's go ahead and dive in. So Matthew chapter 5, 18, like we said, and, and to truly understand this, we said we have to look at verses 17 through 20. And as Alex pointed out before we started recording, really the entire Sermon on the Mount shows what exactly verse 18 is talking about. But for context, I'll go ahead and read 17 through 20. It says, Do not think, this is Jesus here, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 20, I think where this all ties together from what I see, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, man. Um so I, you know, I read a number of commentaries to see like what, what other people had said about it. Um, but one of the things that I had been, again, I mentioned my my ninth grade class. We've been reading uh, or going through a survey of the New Testament. We recently had finished kind of an overview of Matthew, and and I don't use. Hopefully, my boss doesn't. Use, I don't use the curriculum. Um, that we particularly have because it's not very good. It's literally just kind of like a passage and then a question about that passage. And that's their workbook. And it's like, that's horrible. So I had been reading through Matthew and one of the things, maybe it's common sense, maybe I'm just dumb, but one of the things that ha I really realized as reading, I was reading through Matthew recently is the Jewishness of it. Not to say that it's only for Jews, but the Jews are Matthew's primary audience. This is why he starts off with a genealogy um, because they care about who the son of David is. That's that's what one of the promises that uh, that they are longing for and hoping for. And so when he starts off the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, 
he's kind of telling them, hey, the son of David, this is the guy. And then he goes to them. Um, and, and so what I really, oh, sorry, guy. No, all I was going to say is that, that that's a good point. Um, and especially for, for other people, maybe if you're newer to Christianity and you're listening to this, uh, the, 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 diff- the four Gospels, uh, we have the three mm-hmm. synoptic Gospels, and then we have John's Gospel, which is very theological. Those Gospels were all written to address different audiences in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the schematics, but, uh, but we know Matthew is a very, very much so for a Jewish audience. And you can tell that, like you said, by the right. genealogy, because genealogy yes. is very important, especially talking about all the different times uh, so it was fulfilled. You know, Jesus fulfilling right. prophecy. That stuff I is counted, very important to the Jews. I counted in the first four chapters um, seven times, not including just the fulfillment of him being the son of David, not including that. Um, seven times in the first four chapters that he, uh, Matthew says, and this was this occurred to fulfill this prophet. Um, and so it's very Jewish. And the reason I bring it up is um, one of the, the ways that Matthew is talking, and I like to kind of, this is not how I study the Bible, mm-hmm. but it helps my students in the way I describe it, I think, hopefully. Um, I like to picture Matthew kind of having a conversation with Jewish people with whom he's preaching the gospel. Or sharing this story and um so he starts off this thing to say hey this jesus guy is actually the son of david the messiah the guy that's been promised and he shows them through all these prophecies and one of the things i think matthew knows especially about the jews of this time and i think he uses kind of the pharisees as a template for that the, the judaism of the time this self-righteousness we're going to be saved because of who we are because of how good we are how well we fulfill the law and so when we see the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when we come to this section, and he doesn't say, blessed are those who follow every jot and tittle of the law, <laughs> right? So and true. he doesn't say, blessed are those who are haughty and boastful about their goodness or about their father Abraham, right? Um, a lot of the teaching and the discussion and the parables that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew have this heavy emphasis on kind of attacking the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and Judaism at the time. Um, and and so I think there's something about that at play uh, when we get to Matthew chapter 5, where he's attacking the, the while, while he's defending against the Pharisees, saying, listen, I'm not going against what the law says. I'm not contradicting. No, to- he wasn't Moses here to change Torah. it or make up a new one. Right. But he is trying to, I think there is a, a big part of it, which is saying you cannot rely on yourself. Maybe I'm getting ahead of it. I, I was just saying as a, as a context, as a whole, Matthew is very Jewish. And so addressing the self-righteousness, addressing the Pharisees, addressing Judaism as a whole, and this tendency to rely on ourselves, um, that, that's a big part of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's just applying proper hermeneutics for, it, for anybody listening uh, that, that might not know that's, you know, we might say some words and if you never know, please hit us up on, on Facebook or something, or you can, yeah. you can Google the words too. That's what I usually do. There are plenty of times where I listen to people use big words and I have to pause it and Google and figure out what they're saying. So, uh, but that it's the proper hermeneutics to do that, to understand who that audience is. And hermeneutics is essentially that placing something in its proper context, understanding who the audience is, uh, who was, mm-hmm. what the message being conveyed was. Don't just read that single verse, read the verses around it, and then taking all that and then seeing how it applies to today. And remember, if the message did not make, would not make sense, your interpretation would not make sense to the original audience, 
then it's not a proper yeah. interpretation. Right. <laughs> I think we can agree right. on that. And it's important what Alex said th th that we do this, especially with uh, this verse right here, understanding the audience, try to really place yourselves in their shoes. Here was a bunch of people that were living life to the letter of the law, or at least trying to live life to the letter of the law. Yeah. Uh, and they were missing the entire moral implications, the spiritual aspect, the true meaning right. of the law, which of course, I believe what, this is what Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who Absolutely. mourn, and, and so forth and so on throughout the rest. He's explaining them, look, you're missing the point. This is what the law mm -hmm. is supposed to be pointing to. It's not to be following every tiny little point to a T in some legalistic manner, but the, rather the moral implications of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I mentioned uh, some of the commentaries that I looked up. I looked up a not, not a large swath. I didn't go into some like or the weird commentary. I didn't go into that. Yeah, it was only a few days and... that that we yeah before before. By the way, he did this on like a three day notice. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, they could probably tell. They're probably guessing as no. they listen to this. Like, <laughs> um, but no. Um, uh, so I looked up uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They're, they're oh yeah, that's like a kind of a a mix of Scottish and Anglican type. Um, so I looked up them and then Matthew Henry, and then I looked up the new Bible commentary and Calvin. Those were the, the main ones that I looked up. Um, and they all had similar ideas, which was that what you had mentioned, the, the true meaning behind the law. That's kind of what they all said in a variety of different ways and in different kind of language, but they all, I, identified that that jesus is talking about the authority and the principles is what uh jameson fawcett and brown said um or um the new bible commentary says the true will of god in the law uh and then uh calvin says uh referring to the perfect truth truth of it not the life of men so what they all kind of focused on was the fact that um i think what we see later on developed in the book of hebrews mm. um is this idea that this the law was a shadow of what was to come the the truly good things the reason the law was there was to to restrain sin and to condemn it so that we would see our need for a savior and so as we we read that instead of just thinking about like adultery as like i slept with someone who's not my wife it's like if you look upon someone and and it's this idea of it's God has this idea of perfect holiness in mind, and that's why he set the law there, because he's perfectly holy. And he kind of only made it the way he did because we can't fulfill those righteous it, requirements. Exactly why he said it, verse 20, for, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, which had to be then a bombshell statement. You know, we're talking right. about the holiest of the holies. You know, these guys are the law keepers. And I have to be better than them if I want yeah. to get to heaven? That's impossible. Yeah. I wonder if some people just got up and walked away at that point. Uh, because that, right. that, that, that's got to be a hard message to listen to. But of course, no, in no. hindsight, retrospect, we know that Jesus was talking about, you can't do this. That's why mm -hmm. you have to trust me, have your faith in me. So that way you can receive my imputed righteousness because Jesus was and is the fulfillment of that law. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't, it doesn't seem that this is a statement saying that we're bound to keep the Torah. Hmm. Um, it, especially because, um, one with the given context that we talked about, but like you said, verse 20 is incredibly telling for us. I think, um, the, the, 
contrast of the Pharisees and the requirement to heaven. Uh, and then right after that, he launches into kind of a law teaching, right? The, the rest of the sermon where he talks about, I think my Bible has listed as anger and lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, love your enemies, right? The, the headings that yeah. are sometimes helpful. Yeah, sometimes I love those not. headings. Sometimes I just, that, that's, what I, that's how I make the, uh, the titles of sermons sometimes or episodes. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not, I'm not a good title maker, but you continue on. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah, um, it's super telling that he says your righteousness has to, uh, to uh, what's it called, um, exceed, exceed that of the, the Pharisees, like you mentioned. And then he launches into this discussion of the moral requirements of us. And the moral requirements are kind of insane, right? Like I, I told, I actually teaching this passage to my students, I was like, okay, be honest. I want to know, guys, how many of you have lusted after someone? I was like, there's no shame here. I have a good relationship with the students. I'm like, and, and, you know, one or two would raise their hand. Oh, that's it. <laughs> but, but then I tell them, okay, I want every guy in the room to raise their hand. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I want to make the point that all of you still have your eyes, right? Like, and, but Christ here tells us gouge them out, right? Like pull them out if they cause you to sin. And it's so like, there's this crazy requirement for the, for the law here. One, um, I would say, I was reading, I think, Jonathan Pennington, uh, from he's a New Testament professor from Southern Baptist, not Southeastern, but Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he was saying that there, there, there needs to be, or there is an aspect of this, which is like the moral ideals that God has. So we should strive for these moral ideas, ideals as Christians, right? We do strive to, to be free from lust. We don't do it perfectly, but we ought to strive for them in the same way we strive for the wisdom in Proverbs. But we know we can't do it. And there's this aspect of that which should make us realize, like, maybe maybe for a lot of Christians, because I don't know how many Jewish, like, Messianic Jews or, like, like how many of them there are Jewish people who have come to faith mm-hmm. um, in, in the modern church. But maybe for us, another analogy would be the person who's grown up in the church their whole life and whose parents are Christians and grandparents are Christians. They've gone to Sunday school. They they play in the worship band and they go to, I don't know, whatever youth gatherings every Wednesday. And there's this idea of like you, all of those things, none of those things rather make you good enough for him. Right. Like the, the requirement is if you're about to sin, cut off your hand, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not good enough. And so of course that he's talking to the Jews, but But that's the thrust behind this idea. And so one, I think there's this defense in verse 18. Hey, the Pharisees are going to say that I'm teaching another thing. I am divorcing from the Torah, and I'm not. But I'm trying to show you the true meaning of the Torah. The true meaning of the Torah, that the laws there weren't just for fun, (laughs) not just like it was because God has these perfect ideals, and you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sorry, I don't mean to. No, you're fine. Uh, and that's actually spot on. I almost didn't, didn't even need to write my notes out for it. So <laughs> I think we're on the same line of thought. Uh, now, I do want to point out for, for some others out there. So what do we mean by the law when we say the law? And you heard me say earlier, capital L. So typically, it yes. depends on what type of Bible translation you have. Sometimes you'll see the word law written. Uh, usually when it's a capital L, it's usually specifically referring to the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you've seen anything different yeah. from that, but that's what I've noticed. It's usually referring to the Ten Commandments. Now, there are other laws out there 
that were given. There are ceremonial laws. There are uh, sacrificial laws. There are dietary laws. Uh, any others that you could think of? I think there was a whole a bunch. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Judiciary I mean, yeah. laws. You know, it, it, that's another thing that's kind of funny. You talk to one of those uh, the Torah observant movement people, and I've never right. asked them this straight up, but I've always thought, you know, well, why don't you still follow the judiciary laws, you know, about stoning yeah. and <laughs> these things right. like that? And at least well, I had heard some conversation about this is a little off topic, so I'm sorry. But and I don't I support heard... stoning, by the way. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> um, in uh, some conversation where they were saying that one of the reasons they don't follow like the ceremonial laws is because the temple is gone. Right. So they don't do the sacrifices because the temple is gone. But that makes me question if Christ is the once for all sacrifice, why would, if the temple comes back, are you going to start sacrificing again? Mm -hmm. Right. Or all of a sudden you start relying on the blood of bulls and goats. <laughs> yeah. Here's another question I think that comes up. And even, I don't think I have a perfect answer for this. So I, I would like to get yours. <laughs> Uh, so when Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, still on verse 17, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Uh, would you say then at that time, after his death, burial, resurrection, did he fulfill it all? Because verse 18 says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the question I guess would be, right. do, do we believe that all is accomplished? I mean, that's a that's a loaded question. Part of that. Yeah, that's a really loaded. That's like uh, that's going to change not in terms of it, the truth of it, but the interpretation of that might change between like even me and, you know, Blake, a disciple mm -hmm. um, like that's going to change between he and I. We have different views of the end times. and He's a post mill, like partial preterist. So he thinks m much of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. Um, I don't know where I lean. I lean fairly futurist uh, in a lot of senses. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I know. So... Don't even get me started on eschatology. I don't. <laughs> and I never, I never, side note, I, I will never let uh, someone's eschatological beliefs or any view on the end times really like separate me. Unless you're like a full blown oh, yeah. hyper preterist, then that gets into like yes. a whole nother. Like, Jesus has already come back. Yeah. Like it's done. It's over. Like, yeah. really? Yeah. Like, I don't. Uh, okay. No. Yeah. Uh, but you know, post mill, pre mill, a mill, like I'm not, I'm oh, not, no, uh, not. I, that's not something I, I ever see worthy of arguing about, but Divide you're right. Th that That's a good point that you bring up. You know, one person would say it's all accomplished and another person would say, no, it's not all accomplished. And, uh, since Christ was the fulfillment and, and I'm just going through questions that I have, cause I'm not going to sit here and act like I understand this statement completely, uh, right. perfectly. But, you know, I asked myself, all right, since Christ is the living embodiment of the law, that's what he was. He was the living embodiment of the law, still is. And he sac when when that sacrifice happened, was that the law being fully accomplished? Because now we receive right. that imputed righteousness. So the law mm -hmm. is, I guess, by uh, legal terms, it's fulfilled in us as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my opinion, at least on what that means, and I don't know... I think that there is this idea, this accomplishment. Actually, I can check the Greek, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. My, but there, there might be this idea of 
Yeah, till all comes, till until all occurs. Oh, so you're looking at the the Greek word for accomplished? Yeah, heos on panta genetai. And so it's like there could be this idea of like the you know that the um, tetelestai is finished idea behind it. But I think um, the way that I take this sentence in general, um, like the personally, and of course <laughs> I can be definitely wrong on this. Um, but the way that I tend to take this is is that he came and fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant, and then he establishes the new covenant, right? Like this Jeremiah mm-hmm. thirty one covenant with um, his people. He says uh, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. I'm sure most people are familiar. Yeah. He says, "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah." Verse thirty two. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them uh, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's the Mosaic covenant. So not like that covenant, this oppressive covenant, which condemns them and basically just condemns them. Um, uh, My covenant that they broke, uh, this covenant that I will make, uh, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that's what we see Jesus fulfilling here is that law of um, all these 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 laws these ideals that he talks about in anger lust divorce are now written on our hearts as something that we we aim and long and hope and love to tr- to aim for to to do but that we will fall short but he is now inside of us empowering us to live holy lives being our god and us being his people and then we see that full fulfillment when he returns all of that whenever that occurs yeah yeah i know like i'm not i'm not a perfect person to talk about the end of times with like i said i change all the time but i (laughs) i I totally agree with what you said either wherever you stand on the eschatology side of things you know that i I think we can all agree on that and how that is really what happened i'm glad you brought that verse up because instead of i heard uh john MacArthur talking about this one time Uh, i can't remember what sermon it was but he talked about how the law at first was you know, it, it was written in Adam. Adam had it. Mm-hmm. Then sin entered, and then the law came back in the form of a stone cold tablet that you know did nothing right. but condemn. But now, it is written inside of our hearts, inside of our minds. You know, by virtue of regeneration through the Holy Spirit, and I think that says a lot about the law. Period. Yes. Uh, that the law yes. is in us by virtue of being a new creation. That doesn't mean we're going to completely honor it all the time. And 100%, right. it's like the fruits of the spirit. We have, every Christian has the fruits of the spirit. Do we operate in it 100% of the time? No. You know? Right, no. But nevertheless, yeah. the law is still written there, just like we still all have the fruits of the spirit. Uh, and actually, speaking on Galatians, there was a, a key passage I wrote down that I think really explains a lot when it comes to the law and the Christian today. And for anybody out there who doesn't know, Galatians is an amazing book when you're trying to reconcile between law and grace and all this different stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apostle Paul wrote this book to this church. Essentially what was going on for a little context, there were these people known as Judaizers that would go behind Paul and they would just 
be like, okay, cool, you're a Christian now. Well, first you got to get circumcised, and then you got to observe this day, and and they, and they just started adding all these legalistic forms, almost like the modern day Torah observant movement. Really, you know, I, I know that a lot of the people like that I would consider friends on TikTok use that term for them. Judaizers, and, and yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it, it, it fits. Uh, right. it, it is very fitting. So. Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21. Honestly, you can read the entire book of Galatians to get a much better, read the whole book. I'm just going to give you a snippet, but Galatians 2, 15 through 21, it says, we are Jews. This is the Apostle Paul writing, mind you. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified, period. I mean, that says a lot. Verse 17, But if while seeking to be justified in Christ we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? In a famous Paul line, may it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness mm-hmm. comes through the law, and this is really key, pretty much saying all that to say this, then Christ died needlessly. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. I mean, and even I had pulled up, right? I, I was like, man, this guy's like, he's hacking my iPad or something. Because I had pulled up <laughs> right before you you mentioned Galatians. I had pulled up chapter three, and you're like, oh, this is section in Galatians. And, but yeah, that he's dealing with a very similar idea, I think, that we're dealing with today. And I, I don't think that that's a straw man or a mischaracterization. Of- no, and I think, man, I, I don't know what it is about people who, who believed in Reformed theology whenever they, they try to talk with somebody about something on these secondary issues, they immediately get yelled at, straw man, you're making a straw yeah. man. Like, no, yeah, yeah. I'm and not. I, I, I try really hard not to do that. Like, um, this is a little off topic. I, I talked to a number or, or rebutted, I guess, responded in video on TikTok to a number of people. And they just said, hey, you straw man. And I said, hey, I would love to have a conversation with this, with you about this, like, whether it's live or, you know, you can just shoot me another video and say, hey, tell me, show me where I straw man because I want to interact with your true thoughts and beliefs. I'm not trying to straw man. That's not the goal. So if I did accidentally misrepresent you, I want to know just crickets and that's um, the entire point of ironing sharpening iron uh I, I i talked about with you offline and and if people have been listening to my podcast consistently they know for a period of time i was going to a more or less charismatic church for a while and i grew right. so much in that church uh not because their charismatic theology rubbed off on me but it forced me to dig in and really do I believe what I believe? Like, can I back up what I'm saying with the Bible, you know? And, and it forced yes. me to dig into scriptures and uh, to to not just to prove people wrong. That wasn't the point, but really to, uh, like I said, iron sharpens iron. I grew from that. They grew from that. We ended up having a wonderful time and all that. Uh, right, so right, that's a good right. thing. Um, yeah, but like, I, I think... It's so, uh, it was just interesting. One of the last interactions I had, I don't get a ton of flack. I know you tend to get more flack from the Torah observant group than I do. 
Um, I've had a few comments, like maybe I could count five, maybe comments from them. Um, most of the comments that I, the hate that I get is from people that I think in general, we can consider brothers, but that's a different thing. Um, that is the Roman Catholic church. Um, oh, so you're getting them a lot. I get, I, I get that a lot. And yeah, I guess, so it's like <laughs> a, a lot. Um, but uh, the, the small interactions I've had with the, the Torah observant movement is um, I, I, I would be discussing these things with them. And I was trying to clarify a friend's point. And, and so I said, I think what he's trying to say is what Paul says in Galatians chapter three, um, uh, which is that everyone who relies on works of the law are under a curse. Hmm. And, um, and that it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Uh, he re Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Um, and so there's this idea that there was a, the, the law, there is a sense in which the law is good and perfect and holy and righteous and true. And it is a shadow of all of those things that are going to be in the New Testament. But there is also a very real sense in which it brought condemnation upon the people of God, upon Israel. And so I think that's what Paul is talking about. That's what I mean when I say that when you are living under the law, it's a curse. It's not because like, the law is bad itself but because the law is untenable for people who are not perfect, right? And so um, it's, it's this idea that, like, Paul himself says living under it has, is as living under a curse. And even if we don't say that it's because of the condemnation, uh, it is because of the condemnation, but ultimately it's a curse just in re relation to when you compare it with the freedom that is in Christ, Right. It, it, but, it, yeah. it, no, it really is. Exactly. I mean, it, it the Paul in, in Romans and Galatians and multiple other spots will, mm -hmm. will talk about this how the law, it's bad news for us, but that doesn't make the law bad. It doesn't make the law wrong. Right. The law is still good. Right. That's still God's holy standard. Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters, uh, mm -hmm. one through four, and you just made me think of it. Therefore, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Amen. Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Uh, and now, mind mm. you, this is lowercase law here, and this gets argued amongst right. various groups, but uh, for what the law was powerless to do be, um, because it was weakened by the flesh, and now I think they're talking about big case L right here, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law <laughs> might be fulfilled in us. Mm -hmm. Those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I think that says a lot exactly that the righteous requirement of the law is already mm -hmm. fulfilled in us. And we talked about that a, a little bit earlier. Yeah. It, now, granted, this doesn't give us freedom to sin. You know, may it never be. Uh, we 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 yes. we can see that all day long. Uh, essentially, the the law is fulfilled in us already. Period. Yes. Yeah. And and I think that um, though again, the way I think about it is, um, uh, I don't know if you've read much Lewis. I know that. Um, especially in the reform group, C.S. Lewis, uh, he's, he's kind of wonky and weird theologically. Uh, but like brilliant he would, mind, he talked. Oh, sorry. 
Oh no, no, never mind. I was mixing up him and Tolkien. No, I, I I've per, I've personally never. I've read lots of Lewis quotes. I've never read any right. of his works. Right. And so for me, that's kind of Lewis was my introduction to theology. He was mm-hmm. like the, like I think a year or so after I got saved, he was like the first like real theological work. Maybe theological philosophical is more apt for him, yeah. but um he he was one of the first books that i had read through where he was just like mere christianity those types of things where he's kind of thinking through why we believe in god and 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 not just that but some of the attributes or characteristics of god and one of the things he says is we we that god is good right like is Mm -hmm. ultimately and truly and purely and he's good in the in the righteous and pure sense of the term not just like oh he's a good dude but good and that's a bad thing for us yeah because we are not you know that's a bad thing for us because we are not good and if he's good and he's a judge then he judges the not good which is us right and he's got to be fair he's got to be fair he can't just let people slide for nothing Absolutely. And I think that same kind of thought process is how I think through Paul's discussion of the curse, the law, the curse of the law, and yet the law is righteous, is the same, is a very similar thing, is that the law is good and true and beautiful, and it's good. It is it is righteous. And that's a bad thing for us. <laughs> for sinful people like us, because all it takes is right. one broken commandment which everyone right. will do, and the Bible is very clear on that. There's there's nobody yes. without sin. Uh, yes. And that's enough to condemn you for eternity in hell. Absolutely. All right, so as we're going through now, we, we've talked a lot about the implications of the entire passage itself, verse 17, verse 18. I want to take a look at verse mm-hmm. 19, uh, where, where Jesus says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called mm-hmm. least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I one of the things that kind of strikes me when you're reading this, and maybe this has nothing to do with the actual context of the passage or not, but uh, something that I notice is Jesus specifically saying that there's people that teach to relax or annul. I know there's various interpretations of it. Uh, these commandments, and they will be in heaven. So in other words, if you're not perfectly trying to keep the commandments, it's not a stop gate in heaven, like, oh, stop, you you weren't trying right. to keep the commandments. You're not coming in. Now, granted, I don't want to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, 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 to advocate any of that. And it's another thing I wrestle with, but that was one of the things that, that kind of struck me that I didn't see when I was, when I was reading this. Yeah, that there's this indication that it's not the ability to keep the commandments that puts you in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and also it's just a big grace, something that I'm thankful for because I realize every day, more and more every day, how how wrong I am sometimes about theology is that we don't need this perfect theology um, to get into heaven. It's not based on us, but yeah. Um, I always I, what, the note that I had was it was of special importance because he says this whoever teaches these things um, uh, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom and then 
and then he again launches into this teaching on the moral kind of it doesn't absolve us just because he has fulfilled the righteous requirement and therefore has imputed that righteousness to us it doesn't absolve us of the the responsibility morally of walking in a manner worthy of the kingdom uh in fact it empowers us to do so yes um, but but it, it empowers us to live in a way that is in accordance with the with the will of god but our salvation it does not hinge on it and and that's i think the beauty and the freedom that paul talks about in christ is that we are now free to live righteously we are able to live righteously and of course as a reformed person i think before christ we're not free to live righteously mm-hmm. we can't um but we are now free no one to live seeks righteously. after god yeah Right. We're now free to live that way, empowered to live a holy life, and yet our our salvation doesn't rely upon it. And that's that's the beauty, the grace, the freedom of Christ, in my opinion, in my understanding. No, it, 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 it's perfect. I, I wrote another note on there, and it kind of plays along to this. And I think it gets back to what we said in the very beginning and, and hitting on what you just said. It empowers us to live, and, and we got to remember... Jesus already summed up what the commandments were. The Apostle Paul complimented him later mm-hmm. on in, in Matthew 22, uh, starting at verse 36. This is where the Pharisees were talking to him, and they asked him, Teacher, what, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. I'm sorry, I mixed <laughs> up soul and mind. And, and this, yeah, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. Uh, the second is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments... Depends the mm-hmm. entire law and prophets, not just right. the law, but everything written in the prophets too. You know, it's, right. and I think this is the the true implication. Paul addresses this uh, later on. I yes, can't remember absolutely. which passage that was, but essentially, how the law the law is love. The law mm-hmm. is love. Period. Yes. Yeah. And I had a note, and or I, I I was reading one of the commentaries, and I'm not going to be able to find it now, but it's this. Um, it was probably, uh, anyway, the, the main point was, uh, that it is not, uh, this statement by Christ to, that he, he comes not to abolish the law and that everyone is to, is to now is to, uh, do and teach the law. That statement is not teaching adherence to the Torah or like perfect adherence to the letter of the law. What he is saying is. Uh, and again, the context, I, I know maybe I sound like a broken record, but that context that he then launches into this discussion of the ideals of morals, right? Mm-hmm. The ideals of never lusting, the ideals of, of anger, or, or rather avoiding anger and avoiding divorce. These ideals that are kind of heightenings of the, the moral law. It's the true meaning of the law. Right, right. He's saying, he's saying one, your, your salvation isn't relying upon you doing it. So praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then two, he's saying uh, you should continue to, to do and teach these things, but it's not about perfect adherence to the letter of law. What it is is about uh, this adherence to what the law means, which is to love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that That's the true purpose of the law. We see that here, I think, in Matthew, and we see that again in uh in paul like you mentioned right? yeah and i and i found so, it romans 13 8 through 10 uh, and i found out why i messed up when i was reading the other verse for some reason it was pulling up the uh 
new international version, which I am not familiar with. <laughs> uh, so I'm usually an NASB guy. But anyways, uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he yes. who loves his neighbor has fulfilled, past tense, the law. For this sh- you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of a law. And that, that's right. just like, that was the, I can't believe I didn't remember it earlier. That was the verse that like, when I was studying through this whole thing, that kind of just, it flicked me in the head and like told me like, stop getting in your own head. Almost like the Holy Spirit's telling me that, like, stop getting yeah. in your own head. This, it's so simple and easy. It's right here. Love right, is the fulfillment right. of the law. <laughs> yes. And, and what's interesting not to kind of push us off to that, but like, no, that, that one verse. And, and for me, I, for, for me, I think it's similar to you. That's, that's the clearest it can get is all of the laws, all of the prophets and all of these, these restrictions, they're summed, summed up in those two statements. So love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's the, that will even be taken out of context or even i don't even think it's taken out of context and it's more like twisted yeah um, and and they say well the they way think I love means tolerance is, yeah well, well there's that 100 percent. but from the torah or, or hebrew roots i i've heard them in discussion with other people again i don't interact with them as much um but they've said that that verse he's like the yeah the way that i fulfill the loving god is by walking in the torah by by obeying the torah and the way that i love my neighbor is by fulfilling the law of the torah regarding my neighbor and it's like i think you've got it exactly backwards my friend it it is very backwards backwards. mike wiener uh if anybody I've, i've mentioned him a few times on here i know who you know who he is he had like a five, four, I don't know how many video series talking about this. Videos are like three hours long, so if you could sit through it, I mean, by all means. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he was bringing up, he was kind of having a back and forth with a guy. Uh, we talked about it, I believe, in the beginning of the episode, 119 Ministries, Psalm 119. That's where they take a lot of this from uh, and eventually get to the point where they're saying, look, if you don't fulfill the law, then you don't love God. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the main focal point that they were really trying to to push out i've watched some of the videos from the 119 i if anybody's out there i personally i just stay away from it especially if you're younger and newer in the faith because i won't lie like the way he presents it is very sneaky like very very sneaky and i almost wish i would have prepared some clips beforehand and i could play the audio on here maybe i can go back and edit it in but yeah the way he presents it is very very sneaky and he'll say stuff like no no you don't gotta follow the law to be a believer uh you don't gotta do this you know it's just something that we do and then three hours into his video because his videos are like i think like five six hours long it's crazy and 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 he's actually gone after people actually by the way for for talking bad on him good thing we're not that popular but (laughs) i mean i don't really care it doesn't bother me but TikTok, it, uh, you're fairly popular, right? Uh, <laughs> I got to start advertising that at some point, I guess. I just feel weird. I don't want to feel like I'm self-promoting, right? Self-promoting. Yeah, I'm very I get very conflicted with that. But but anyways, um 
he he goes on to eventually say like it starts out all very sweet good innocent in the beginning and then as you you get a couple hours into the video it turns into that look if you don't follow the law you don't love god and if you don't love god mm -hmm. you're not saved <laughs> so, and yeah. it, it, like it turns to this sweet innocent thing to this very condemning thing and it and, and it's so sad to see that happening, uh, if anything, mm -hmm. it, it almost fills me with, with a type of righteous anger in a way, but at the same time, it just makes me sad. It's the same way I feel when people try to tell you that you can lose your salvation. It, it just really saddens me, uh, almost to the point of tears, because you're, you're putting a shackle around people. And if we really want to get, get into it, I, I wonder what they would say to this. Acts chapter, oh, I think I wrote it down somewhere, Acts chapter 15, maybe? Uh, this is the Council of Jerusalem, and they're sitting there asking, what are we going to do about the Gentiles? The Gentiles are able to believe now. Should we make them follow the laws, or should we just, uh, you know, ignore them? And I can picture them going back and forth in my own head, and then James eventually says, all right, check it out. We're going to write them a letter. We're going to tell them, stay away from meat that has blood in it, strangled, sacrificed to idols, and abstain from fornication, and that's it. And he purposely says as well in the in the passage, because we don't want to burden you. We don't want to <clears throat> burden you down. Uh, and that's the what they decided. And then even the, the whole meat sacrifice to idols thing, Paul kind of recants on that later on. And I believe yeah. it's Romans, no, Corinthians, uh, talking about, look, if you're, if you're going to eat some, we know there's only one God. These aren't real. Just don't do it in front of your brother and don't trip them up and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, taking the weaker brother into consideration. Right. Oh, yeah, saying all that to say that. There, yeah, I think even the context there uh, <clears throat> affects what they're doing is that um, right, I, this isn't like a, an attempt to like harmonize where it doesn't need to be or anything, but Paul's whole thing is like you don't eat these meat, the, the meat sacrificed to idols, if it's going to cause someone to stumble, it's going to cause those around you uh, to think that you're sad, you're eating, well, you know, you're worshiping these idols or whatever it might be, or if you yourself find it to think that it's worshiping of these idols. And, but in Acts, we think of like the first people who are coming to faith in the book of Acts um, in general are Jews. And the Gentiles that start coming to faith are going to be around these Jews first and foremost. And so I could even see the idea behind that is like, I, I, all I'm saying is I don't think they're contradicting one another. I think, um, I know you don't think that either. No. That the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but like uh, this idea that they're they're saying, "Hey, we don't want to burden you with all of these laws and stuff," and and the reason we're going to have you hold to these things, I can see them being because they're all these Gentiles coming to the faith are going to be surrounded by the first Jews who would come to faith. But that's a oh yeah, I, I mean, and you could even I've even pictured in my head, you know, these images like wondering, like, okay, after Jesus died, you know. Were they going to continue going to the temple afterwards, even though there's no point? You know, all these different things. Right. You've been doing this your entire life, uh, not to yeah. mention all your ancestors. That's not something that you just get rid of real fast. And even we see we see Peter. Everybody knows about the famous part in uh, Galatians where Paul chews out Peter for being a hypocrite, you know, sitting with the yeah. Gentiles, eating what they're eating one day. And then when the Jews come over, oh, he goes over by them and... All of a sudden, yeah. he's kosher again, you know, <laughs> and uh, right. it, it, it's it, it's kind of funny. It, it, it's something that's hard to break. But I think, like you said, exactly, we're not trying to 
you don't want to try to be purposely tripping other people up. Uh, I think that was one of the big main points that we're getting out of it. And you can see even at the Council of Jerusalem, the 12 and the people that were there with Christ, they were having a hard time with this as well. What do we do with this? We didn't really get any instructions. Let's go ahead and pray on it and see how this works. I guess we'll write them a letter or something. So a few other points as we're as we're going on. We're probably getting closer to the end here because I'm sure you don't want to listen to us talk for about three hours straight. Um, <laughs> one thing I you know observed from the law, and I didn't write down all the passages, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but you know we do see when we're talking about the actual Ten Commandments themselves. I think it's what nine of the Ten Commandments you actually see fulfilled within the New Testament, like to- talked about. The only one we don't right. specifically see is the Sabbath. I don't know if that's what mm-hmm. you've also seen in your studies as well. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, we see. I think the biggest thing that will will come close is is the discussion. I think in Hebrews four about rest. Mm. Um, but like for the most part, I think yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Yeah, so it, it, it's not as if the commandments were getting thrown away. And we talked about that in the very beginning. Jesus wasn't coming to get rid of the law. He wasn't coming to establish right. anything. And we even see the moral aspects of the law talked about throughout the rest yes. of the New Testament Bible. Once again, we just, like you said, we could see the Sabbath on a rest day, but it's not a particular day anymore like it was before. Right. I think I think we can agree on that. I mean, Paul and Colossians, I think, talks about that. Don't let anybody hold you to any type of Sabbath day or new moon. Observing the days, right, yeah. Which is also, if you didn't know why, uh, I know there's some groups out there like the Seventh-day Adventists, they will purposely worship on Saturday because that's the Sabbath, and that's what they Mm -hmm. believe. Reason why the New Testament church, why we as Christians have church on Sunday, was primarily for because that's what the early Christians did. And you can go back to the book of Acts. I can't remember exactly where that, but that's essentially what they did. They met on the first day of the week, which is why we also meet on the first day of the week. Yes. And that's just a little FYI for anybody who didn't know. Yeah. But I think that like the the main thing for me when it comes to this topic is, uh, and, and I don't know if I've told you this um, or if it's obvious, maybe from videos, I don't think it's super obvious, but like, I love like the Old Testament is where I spend most of my time, and and so you that's said the Old Testament. Yeah, the Old Testament is where I spend most of my time reading and studying. Oh wow, uh, that's what I want to do academically in terminal degree. Oh, so you're um, awesome for me because that's the area I struggle with the most. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, if you ask my my wife, like, basically, I, I read the Torah constantly. Like that's my that's the main thing that I read, and it's not because I observe the Torah. I'm not a Torah observant person, just, but um, there is a, a one a massive amount of the beauty of Christ in the Torah. Amen. Yeah, and and like that that's just for me. That's that's number one. And, I think you even talked about how Leviticus was one of your favorite books. You said, oh yeah, Leviticus is just so beautiful and and so real in terms of like so relevant to our topic here because the idea is when are we going to have a a priest who can sacrifice once (laughs) that we can rely on because he never sins oh when are we going to be able to have this relationship with god right because that's the way i told my students is that this is a define the relationship topic 
I don't know if you ever talked about D- heard of DTR before and mm-hmm. relationship. No. Um, but like that's kind of the conversation like guys and girls when they're talking have, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, what are we gonna be? Right? Are we gonna date? Are we dating? Are we just talking? You know. But this is Leviticus. Leviticus is God's kind of DTR with Israel. He's dwelling in the the tent now, or above the tent, and His glory's over the tent. And he's dwelling there with his people and saying, hey, this is what I expect from you. Now that I'm living with you and that promise from Genesis 15 through 17 that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people is partially fulfilled. This is what I expect from you. And so as you read Leviticus, you're like, man, when, if you're thinking as a Jew, when am I going to be able to have a relationship with God that's not going to be like destroyed every five seconds because of how sinful and stupid I am? You know, when am I going to be able to rely not on the law to get me there, but on the relationship that I have with the Lord? When am I going to have a priest who never sins? And so that's the beauty of the Torah for me. Anyway, the reason. No, you're going to make me read Leviticus in a whole new light. You know, usually Leviticus is one of those books where I read through and I'm kind of throwing myself under the bus here. I, I honestly read through it once a year during yearly Bible reading, you know, and and that's about all I do. And sometimes I even have to listen to it because I get so tired of reading. (laughs) But but you're 100% right. There's so much Christology in there. There's so much foreshadowing and there's so much, like you said, placing yourself in that perspective. Uh, I've never thought of it that way. And... uh, I'm, I'm gonna read it in a whole new light this year now <laughs> good. I'm glad I'm glad I've, maybe I've I'll even do a do an this. in-depth study because I, I do spend more time in the New Testament than I do the Old Testament right. I can admit that and so what, yeah so what I'm saying is that like with uh, that's obviously the number one reason is Christ and his glory in in the promises of the Torah are just massive and I kind of I guess I'm thinking about it now it's probably something that I'm going to continue. And then move on to something else to the prophets and and where I just, you know, you know, uh, like, I don't know if you ever kept chewing a piece of gum until you get the last drop of flavor out of it. Um, Not that there is an end to the flavor of the Bible, but what I'm saying (laughs) is it's also because so much of the New Testament, so much of the rest of the Old Testament is connecting itself to the Torah. I don't know if you know of uh, Dan McClellan heard of uh, him a, never read any of his stuff but i've heard of he's him. a dan mcclellan is a latter-day saint a mormon he's active on tiktok too and he um he denies the univocality of scripture that it speaks with one voice oh and and it's like one if you believe that there is one god who inspired the scriptures then yes it has to be univocal because it's the one God who inspired it all. But then not just that, like from the writings, you can see that when when Joshua starts his book, he starts his book not by saying, okay, so I'm Joshua, I'm really cool dude, God spoke to me, this is what he has to say. He immediately does it by connecting himself to Moses, right? And I like the, the image I like to use for my students is like, you know the scenes in movies where someone's not going to able be able to get into like the club or something but then they know like the owner of the club and he's like oh he's with me yeah yeah i'm with that i'm with that guy joshua's like hey you remember that moses dude i'm with him like he's i'm connecting myself to the book of moses that's why joshua one verses one through eight are all connecting himself back to moses and saying i'm with him and then every other book of the, the old testament does the same thing 
and all of them are, are connecting to the Torah. And so the reason I, I want to read and understand the Torah is because the prophets and the writings, the rest of the Old Testament, are all connecting back to the Torah. And the reason I want to know the Old Testament is because the, the New Testament is all connecting back to the Old Testament and fulfilling it and explaining it. And, and that's maybe that's my philosophy. It's also just my passion. The Old Testament is just something I, I love. Um, and I like to study. I love the New Testament, of course, as well. I'm a Christian, not not a Jew. No, no. Um, but in terms of academic and and even devotional, it helps me see Christ in the New Testament more clearly, I think. And um, I forget why I brought it up. There was a purpose. And, and oh, <laughs> well, I'm just sitting here being edified. So I mean, I'm 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 all about it. It's it's really um, good. It it really is because. You explained it perfectly. The I've always viewed the Old Testament as, you know, really, and it still is, you know, that giant arrow sign that points to Christ. You know, right, right. But at the same time, I should never diminish anything that it says, and even subconsciously, I would never actively do that. But subconsciously, maybe right. that happens sometimes. Like, oh, it's kind of Old Testament; it's not <laughs> as relative or whatever. No, yeah, you know, I can't do it's yeah. it's a solid foundation for which everything else was built off of, you know, starting at Genesis one one and all the way through. Right. And, and uh, the reason the reason I ultimately brought it up is one, because if you give me more than an hour to, to talk to someone, I'm gonna bring up the old testament and its beauty. Um but it's like, okay. I don't actually have a time limit on here. So. Okay. My my wife um my wife can attest, like, I will cry talking about Leviticus. Like, like it's just... You might oh, be the man. first person <laughs> I ever heard say that. No, but it's awesome. It really is. Like, it, 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 like God places these passions in us for these very reasons. Uh, because we're not right. all going to be the same. We're not all going to have the same passions in that. And right. we need people Absolutely. like you who are passionate yeah. about that, especially for people like me who have a harder time delving into it so i'm really glad we're <laughs> my, doing this <laughs> my greek professor my greek professor uh he's a mark scholar like he was he, he moved to he's still a mark scholar he's not my greek professor anymore um uh, in my undergrad he moved to the philippines to teach there but he was a Markan scholar he just actually his book on his commentary on mark just came out anyway i i just like it's my least favorite gospel i uh, I love it, of course, but like it's, I'm not in any way like, oh, can't wait to go read Mark. <laughs> no, I've, um, I, of the four Gospels, that's probably the the way that I feel, and definitely the synoptics. And, <laughs> right, and it's like, and of course, it's scripture and it's beautiful, and there's a point to it. So I'm not saying that that it's not that I. I it's just in terms of zeal for it, passion for it. It's on the lower end. And so he was able to help me to, to develop some of that. And to, Anyway, the reason I bring up the Old Testament, though, is because, as we see in the book of Matthew, writing to these Jews, Matthew points out tons of times that the Old Testament is fulfilled by Christ. And I think one of the ways he does this, and one of the ways the New Testament in general does this hebrews especially talks about christ and the fulfillment of the old covenant uh, or the fulfillment of the prophecies is this promise in jeremiah 31 of a new covenant that will be better than the old that will be something that is different he says i'm gonna i'm gonna give this covenant to you and it will not be like the one i gave to moses right it's not going to be the oppressive one that condemns sin and condemns you it's not going to be conditional Right. The, the Mosaic Covenant is this idea of if you obey me, 
It will go well with you. I will be, uh, you will be my treasured portion. I will bless you. If you don't, I will be a curse to you and I will raise the nations against you. And the new covenant that is promised in Jeremiah 31 is not going to be like that. There's no ifs in the new covenant. The new covenant is entirely based on Christ and his redeeming work. And now, and, and when we see that in the New Testament, that's why I think we see this. This is why we don't see the Hebrew roots movement exist until like the 1990s. Mm. You know, that's a right? really good point. It, it, this is, we, we see it once or twice in the New Testament with the Judaizers. And it gets condemned. And then uh, I think the last time I researched it, it's, it kind of started becoming an actual movement in like 1993 or something like that. The 1990s. That's why we don't see it for 2,000 years, because I think it was very well condemned and, and, um, and treated in the New Testament, and it kind of just wasn't a question for us. We don't have to follow the law. Christ has set us free from the law, and uh, because the promise of the, o- the Old Testament was one day, something better than the law will come. Right? And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians, I think, was it, 2 Corinthians um, 3, uh, he says in Second Corinthians three that if if the ministry of condemnation was so much glory, how much more glory is this ministry of righteousness through Christ, right? And and for me, kind of that's the that's the end of the the discussion for me. Like in terms of not our discussion, I mean the end of the Torah observant or what this passage means mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, no, it, it, and that's spot on. I'm just sitting here being edified right now, and it's it's real. No, it's true, and it's this true. Is, uh, my podcast now, so I'll be taking over. No, dude, no, like well, this is the whole reason why I wanted someone else to come on because one, I'm not great at this. Isn't my forte, you know? I Old Testament right. is is not my forte. I, I I realize that's a fault, and I need to get better at it. But at the same time, I understand my weaknesses. Uh, and which is right, why absolutely. I really wanted to have someone else come on here uh, to talk about this in a different light and especially bring up those aspects. So when you responded, I was really pumped up about it, uh, So, which is good. I, I wasn't sure uh, who would respond, if anybody would, to that call I did. If you didn't know what I'm talking about, you can do a friends-only video on TikTok where you just reply to friends. And I'm pretty selective with who I'm following and everything. Uh, so I put out there, you know, so anybody that's on my friends list, I, is somebody that I would consider having an open dialogue with. And I put the request out there and Alex was the very first one to, to, to really respond back, which was awesome. I was worried because we hadn't interacted that much. So I thought he's just going to be like, yeah, I was hoping for someone better like Jeremiah (laughs) or Blake. And that's why I said in my message, I sent you that message, and I said, hey, if I'm not who you're looking for, no worries. Like, I'm not going to be offended. No, if you're we... looking for someone smarter, better, like a reformed Hokage or whatever. Oh, yeah. Then... I don't even know what happened to that guy. I haven't seen him in forever. But uh, He yeah, took like... a break, but he just came back last week or something. Oh, anyway, okay. I have to go check it out. Yeah, but there – yeah, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect because I don't, I don't know what everybody – like we talked about, everybody has uh, something that they're good at or something that they're passionate at. Uh, and right. and I was just kind of tossing the line in there and then seeing who was going to go ahead and bite the hook. And maybe that's a bad analogy. but <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm very thankful that, that we were able to do this. Um, 
So I guess with all that being said and done, we're going to go ahead and start closing out. I, I honestly don't know how much time we've actually been on, but uh, this conversation has been really amazing. And I want to take some time, it. though, to go ahead and go to go to any closing thoughts that we might have. I'll, I'll go ahead and let you get the uh, get the words. Yeah. On this then. Um, so for me, the, the closing thoughts are this. The, the, when it comes to the way we interpret Matthew, when it comes to the way we interpret any book, for me, um, in the same way, of course, these are Eastern and like ancient people, so they don't write in MLA format and with a thesis at <laughs> the beginning. But they're not idiots, right? Matthew's yeah. not an idiot. The gospel, the Holy Spirit is not an idiot. And so when he sets out with a purpose, the things that he includes, the things that Matthew includes in their book, are going to help to fulfill that purpose, right? In the same way, I'm not going to start writing a paper with a thesis that coffee is better than tea and then have a paragraph in there about why I like bananas because that's unrelated to my thesis. <laughs> when Matthew sets out to uh, – I'm sorry for the stupid analogy. No, it's been, it's keeping it entertaining for real. Um, but the, Matthew's not going to start off with a goal of reaching Jews with the gospel and showing Jesus as the Davidic son, the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, and then start talking about something completely random. Everything that he talks about is going to be somewhat related to that and somewhat helping to fulfill that goal. And so when we read this passage, um, again, I like to picture it as kind of Matthew having a conversation with Jews or with a Jew about who Christ is. And, and you could imagine when he starts to hear that Jesus is attacking the Pharisees. You can imagine a Jew being like, dude, like the Pharisees follow the, the Torah. They're supposed to like do these that. Are, like, these are the dudes. These are the guys. Yeah. Like these are the guys that teach us the law. Like how can you attack that? And so you can – we also see then um, – I didn't mean to point this out. I think it was in verse 6. I have a note here. It's, it's in the text. I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, but just before the Sermon on the Mount – it says in verse 23 of chapter 4, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Right? So he's remaining still Jewish, like he's still teaching in the synagogues. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And I think one of the reasons that they, they include this healing section, and there's still more verses talking about the healing, is because there were, there were basically two requirements for prophets in the Old Testament that their prophecies came true and that they did miracles to prove that, that God was with them. And so what you see is Matthew kind of gives this teaching, which goes against what the Jews would like, quite, quite, quite honestly, this saying, listen, the law doesn't fulfill it. That, like you can't rely on yourself. The Pharisees are a brood of vipers. And they'd be like, dude, 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 I don't know if I like this Jesus guy that much. And he's like, but listen, he also did these miracles and he proves that he is a prophet sent from God. And then also gives these kind of de these defenses saying, listen, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He's not in opposition to the Torah. Mm. He actually came to to fulfill it, to bring it to its true fruition, its true uh, potential. And so when we read Matthew, we have to realize he's he is trying to reach an audience that is in general self-righteous, believes that they will inherit the kingdom not because of the grace of the Lord, but because of how well they can maintain the covenants. And so when he's, he's 
discussing the law. He's going to, of course, say, I'm not abolishing the law. I'm not getting rid of what is true and good. Um, Calvin, I was reading his commentary um, on this and um, on this one verse. I think this is Calvin's here. Yeah. And he says, might be asked, were not ceremonies amongst the commandments of God, um, are the least of which we are now required to observe? What he's meaning, saying is, if Jesus says this, are we now required to observe all these little ceremonies and rituals and like the, the yeast sacrifices and all these things? Are, are we supposed to do all these things now? And he says, I answer, we have to, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because mm-hmm. it's not. Um, we have to answer, we, uh, or I have, I answer, we have to look to the design and object of the lawgiver or the legislator, God. God enjoined or, or commanded ceremonies so that their outward use might be temporal or temporary, but their meaning eternal. One does not break the law if they omit what is shadowy, but retain what is their true meaning. And what he's mm-hmm. saying is it is not breaking the law. If you omit the shadowy, temporary parts of it, which are following every jot and tittle, salting your yeast offerings and stuff like that, um, or your grain offerings, but re- but retaining the the true meaning, the actual loving your neighbor that we talked about. He's saying, you're not breaking the law. If you get rid of all the things that were temporary, but you maintain what is true, which is the loving your God and loving your neighbor. That's the true meaning. And it is what what Calvin is saying is it is okay. And, and maybe even it is biblical really to, to lay aside the temporary ceremonies, Israel's covenant commands, but to retain what is eternally true, the loving your neighbor, loving God, the, the biblical ideals and values of, of purity and holiness, if that makes sense. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. But. No, 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 it, it, it was good to go. And I, and I think that's spot on that you're kind of saying what I wasn't able to vocalize, or at least Calvin did, uh, you know, through that. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. you, you, did, you did a good job explaining it. And, and I think so... For closing off for me, I just wanted to say, like, number one, if if you are a Christian out there and you are having a hard time, you know, understanding these things, number one, just know you're not alone. Uh, number two, know that at the end of the day, like we, we, we said, it all boils back down to that, that one four-letter word that we use in English, love. Uh, everything was based off of love, uh, the entire law itself. So if you're concerned about following the law, follow love. You know, go read First Corinthians 13 if you want to learn all about love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure everybody has. But love is essentially how we fulfill the law. If you have love, then by no means are you going to mess up any of the other laws. I mean, now granted, right. we're not perfect. We're going right. to mess up. But like we said earlier, that's why we have Christ's imputed righteousness, who mm-hmm. lived the law perfectly, who had the perfect love, who completed it all. Uh, and died in our place, and now we can go ahead and essentially put on Christ. Uh, and when we go to heaven, and I always say this in my analogies, but you know, when we go to heaven, God's not going to sit there and stare and and condemn us to hell for everything that we have said and did. And all it takes is one thing. Instead, He's going to see His Son and everything that His Son said and did 
which was live the perfect, holy, just life, fulfilling every commandment and every bit of the law. Amen. Yeah. Uh, and, and just lastly, I, I'll close out with just a, a quick verse before we go. And it just kind of popped in and I wrote it down. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. You know, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. You know, a new commandment I give you. <laughs> a new commandment, oh no. <laughs> a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Uh, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And it just goes back to that foundation of love. And while it is so mm. easy for Christians who believe differently on whether it be tertiary or secondary doctrines and issues to, to sometimes almost to the point of getting angry with each other and going back and forth with each other. Sometimes we do need to remember that, that love is at the root of this and that always needs to be a laid ground rule. And it should be something that's inherent with all of us, whether we're talking about, you know, the Hebrew roots movement, or we're talking about the hyper dispensationalist movement on the other side. At the end of the day, love needs to be behind all that. uh, If we're going to keep on fulfilling the law, no matter what you believe on either, either side of it, you know, we have to keep going on, showing our love, love one another, this is how we show that we are disciples of Christ. And right. sadly enough, there have been people who debated that. I used to have a guy come on and tell me that was that was for disciples. Believing in discipling is different. Like, oh, no. Yes. That was another hyper-dispensationalist guy. He stopped, right. he stopped going on my stuff after I just started ignoring him. And honestly, that's what I do with a lot of these. Yep. Uh, for these other Christians out there who maybe don't know how to deal with this, you don't always have to instantly respond to something. Uh, I I have had to, ever since I have started this whole little TikTok endeavor, I have had to exercise self-control, you know, very much, you know, someone I'll push out a video and then somebody will totally misread, take what I do out of context, stitch it. uh, And I'm not going to not stop allowing people to stitch because I think that's mean, but uh, you know, they'll stitch it and they'll take what I say totally out of context. And I just want to, but I don't, I just pray. I love. And then after I pray to God about it, he usually just don't worry about it. Chill. Right. Right. And I just won't say nothing back. Uh, there's, there's wisdom in the book of Proverbs in general, of course, but, um, it's wisdom literature. (laughs) There's, uh, there's, uh, these two verses that come back to back and now I forget where they are. I just was talking to my class about them. Um, but one says, answer, answer, not a fool in their folly lest you become like them. Mm. And then the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he think himself wise in his own eyes. It's in uh, Proverbs uh, 26, verses 4 and 5. One of them says to answer a fool, and one says do not answer a fool. And the idea there is, I think, that there's a point at which we can we can answer people and we just become like them, part of that noise, part of the trolling and the arguments and the division and, and the badness of life, quite honestly. And then there's a point where you have to answer people lest they think that that this gospel, this false gospel that they're preaching is a right gospel, lest the people that hear it think that this is a right gospel. There, there has to be some prudence, some wisdom in how we approach things. And, and for a vast majority of things online, you, it just let it roll off your back, I think. Like, that's a lot, that's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, for me, if it's a respectful conversation, I'm always willing to engage, like always. If it's not, then half the time it's just just ignore them. You don't have to block them. You don't just ignore it. Yeah, I don't even block That's it because my, my hope and prayer is that they come to a, you know, a believing truth uh, right. at some point in time. We never know what type of seeds we're planting. If anybody, since we've talked a lot about TikTok and this is off topic, but if anybody's ever trying to plan on getting into some type of ministry like that, whether they do a TikTok or a YouTube or Instagram or whatever the case may be. Or podcast. Or podcast. There you go. Because that's that's the thing to do now. And (laughs) one, one, one of the things that you just really need to do before you go in response to people because people will come after you. Uh, pray on it. I know that's the simple, easy cop-out answer, but it's so true. There have been so many times uh, where, and it almost sounds petty of me talking about it, where someone will say something and it gets me. It hits me. And I'm just like, ooh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna say this and I'm going to do, ha, this verse right here, I got them, you know? And then yeah. I sit down and I pray on it. And then like 20 minutes later, all that's gone. And I'm just yeah. like, God, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. I, yeah. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm just, mm-hmm. it's not worth doing that. Um, but I'm glad you brought up that Proverbs. What Proverbs was that again? That's uh, just... Proverbs, uh, it was Proverbs 26, uh, 26, chapter 26. All right, well, I'm writing that um, one down in chapter verses 26. Verses 4 and 5. <laughs> I'm going to go check that out because that's, that's actually really good. I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Once again, I want to thank Alex for coming on to the show. Uh, this was really, really awesome, and I'm glad that we got to do this. And since it seemed to me like a success, uh, hopefully we can continue doing this. Uh, have Alex come back on. Have other people from TikTok come back on. Because I'm sure you don't want to just sit here and listen to me because it's, it's very boring when it's just one person talking. And it's so much better when you have other people to bounce ideas off of. Well, anyways, with all that being said, thank you so much for enjoying the episode. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, questions for Alex or anything like that, you can hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and if you want, you can, since I talked about TikTok and I haven't talked about it too much on here, you can come on TikTok, uh, at save by the savior is what I'm at. And Alex's 60 second doctrine, correct? Yes. Yes. Six zero second doctrine. Yeah. Yes. 60 second doctrine. Yep. And by no means, uh, will you be disappointed? Just word of caution. If you've never done TikTok, like we said, there is a lot of bad teaching out there. So make sure your discernment's on mm-hmm. par and you take everything with a grain of salt. But anyways, with all that being said, thank you very much and have a great day.